Do y'all ever just think about how like even Tom Paris's cowboy ass has like six degrees? He's easily the worst person in Starfleet, but he (laughs) knows more about anything than anyone you've ever met. He manages to be worse than Chakotay, who is literally like a rebel who left Starfleet and started a terrorist organization, who also has like six degrees, mind you. I mean, slack. I got to step in in defense of my town, my man Tom here. Like, how, 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 how is he the worst person in Starfleet? I mean, like, he, so he's the slackerist. He's the most regulation defying. Yeah, like, it is, mm-hmm. he is the worst officer in Starfleet. He is not, like, the worst person. He is just, like, but he is. Even though he did eventually that. change his name and get let back into Starfleet, like, let's not forget he did kill a bunch of people in school. Yeah, Wesley Crusher narked on him back in TLA. <laughs> that yeah. was a different character. No, it, it wasn't. He changed purposes. his name in shame. This is my head cannon, and I believe it. It the is only, true now. The reason they didn't is because it, they would have had to pay that writer every time they said his name. Yeah, that's true. That I can believe. And that that, I like, can otherwise, believe. it's 100% it is that character. Like, Yeah, let me just like absolutely keep this headcanon where it belongs in the space that justifies systems breaking, fourth wall destroying nonsense caused by the production team. So he changed his name in shame. The story remains intact. And then he fucked that life up, too, and ended up in a labor camp again after paying the finest Romulans for a fabricated identity that got him into Starfleet a second time. And then fucked that up. He's got an Admiral Dad, though, actually. That's it. He's John McCain. I mean, (laughs) oh, my God, he is. Shit. Fuck. He's communist John McCain. Oh, well, that's a good enough place to start it, everybody. Hey, welcome to Gay Space (laughs) Communism, your favorite leftist jibber-jabber talk show where we sit around and spin theory and Star Trek into a fine mesh and then use that to, I don't know, filter coffee or Earl Grey tea hot. How y'all doing? I'm I'm Paul Byron. I'm I'm one of the communists. I'm Rachel Kahn. I'm extremely communist and also using my filter to uh, get lead out of my pipes. (laughs) Okay. Is that a euphemism? I don't I don't know. Anyway, I'm Corey Archibald and uh, I guess this week I'm space and that definitely feels appropriate for the week that I've had. Uh, well, oh yeah, I'm gay. That makes sense. Well, we've been well, you know how we start. <laughs> what have we been watching, gang? No, I'm just I'm tired actually. We just got off my kid being here. Uh, who again has developed a Star Trek obsession? So. Oh, so yeah, that's right. Last last we spoke, she was in love with Worf, which we which we thought was ill advised, but mm-hmm. We're gonna need some. Uh, we're gonna need some Trek parenting stories to be peppered into the podcast. You know, I'm sure they will happen organically because she is starting <laughs> to get into it. Uh, but That's actually, awesome. she hasn't been here since you know Sunday. It's just that like there's an entire decompression, like reacclimation period after she leaves, where we all have to like sleep for 17 hours a night and you know figure <laughs> out how to do adult things again. Oh, it's wild. Oh, Pandemic oh. parenting is a marathon yeah i can right. imagine at least you don't live on a giant weapons platform in space with your child, yeah which always struck me as strange about the enterprise being like okay so like it's a warship but there's a bunch of children on it but it's also a daycare <laughs> yeah this is a human shields kind of question and i don't much care for it i mean like they don't ever play yeah. like, the federation never really cries about it so it's not a big deal they're not like yeah no we put a bunch of kids on a battleship that was that's our bad they're never like oh the romulans are so be- mean for killing our kids it's like no no like we put them on the galaxy class starships that's not 
Yeah, after a certain point, you do kind of have to ask, right? Like, this is, especially with what we know about Section 13, probably not above the books, but, or it's not on the books, but, like, they know what they're doing. They have to know. I mean, it's it's a giant science experiment to see if you can raise children in boxes. You can. They're fine. Well, they have holodecks. Oh. Those are extremely fancy, like, wheels to run in. Just saying. <laughs> really is. <laughs> Corey, you were chugging through uh, TAS, the uh, animated series. Yes, and I finished it. I was surprised, actually, when I finished it because I, for some reason, I thought there were three seasons. And, you know, I suddenly, like, got to the last episode and I was like, wait, what What the What the hell? There's supposed to be more. Yeah, there, were, there were two and a quarter seasons, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Very strange production cycle, but oh, yeah. how did you like the Hawkman man kind of guy? <laughs> I mean, that was interesting. I think you predicted what what was appealing about it was seeing other members of the crew be able to get more interesting story arcs, especially like, I think it was like the last time you mentioned that um, the next episode that I saw was the one where all the men got taken captive on the planet controlled by women and Uhura basically took control of the ship. And, and all the yeomen running in their short skirts with their big phaser rifles. You're like, hell yeah, yeah. get them Starfleet. Yeah, and Uhura... <laughs> Uhura was like, "Okay, this uh, I'm I'm in control. I'm in command of the uh, the Enterprise now. We're gonna go uh, save the dumbasses down on the planet. Let's go." <laughs> oh, that's fantastic! I think that was when I first coined the term, like, "Oh, you could do anything you want," because no actual white man's ego was there to be injured. So mm -hmm. it's all imaginary. Real girl boss shit, like running around with lots of giant guns with those tall <laughs> haircuts and those go-go boots still mm. like they're doing it in style such as it was at the time honoring the long tradition of women in media literally waging warfare in heels well that way you can, you're <laughs> taller it's imposing you see? yeah it's definitely that and not just that it makes your ass more perky okay well it does do it, it does it heels do everyone's ass a favor um absolutely fellas <laughs> check them out uh, so a friend of mine is watching Deep Space Nine for the first time. So I'm popping back in here and there to sort of join her for some of these because she's really chewing through them. I got some, she's got some sit down, like sit around and do weird, like do something monotonous job so you can run a 90s television show in the background. But oh man, Bashir's cohort of genetically engineered weirdos. Yeah. <laughs> but very specifically the mustache one which is the prototype reply guy. Like, oh no. Yeah, he's the one that like, <laughs> so like there's the sec, the one that who's, who's genetic engineering thing is that she's just too horny, I guess. Uh, there's the, <laughs> there's the, the quiet one that he goes all uh, mice and men on her. Um, oh no. That's a, that's a stupid no, question. Flowers for Algernon. <laughs> Sorry, wrong one. Flowers for Algernon. That doesn't make my, it better. <laughs> is the lady, the woman is the flowers for Algernon one. Then he's, yeah, the guy is the of mice and men. That's a stupid question. Yes. The old guy who's like, oh, he just seems like he just needs to sit down somewhere. The other two are, yeah, but then the one that's clearly coming up with theories about the existence of Section 31 and Q, because I imagine they don't tell regular people about the omnipotent god beings that are out there just fucking around, right? Like, why would you tell me that? It would not make my life any better. It's like Batman, 
right? I don't know. True. Very so true. I'm just, yeah, I've been having fun thinking about those cats and it's like how they're such a, it's such a strange group of people to have, to just accidentally have made and then put in jail. Right. But honestly, that's so, like, that like, dude is super dangerous though. Like he would definitely, like, yes, I don't want him out there in the world. Like the old guy, he's just want, he just needs to be kind of like taken, attended to. Yeah. He seems fine. But I'm also if we are going with the running theory that Star Trek, especially Star Trek of that era was, you know, the West Wing for communists, right? Then it kind of lines up, right? Because we land on new Democrats who would absolutely 150% both genetically create like a quote unquote superior species of humans and then also imprison them for being too good at it. Well, again, no, yeah, I think sir. the mustache guy is imprisoned because he's a danger to society. But that's yeah, just, that's that, but that we I'm already saying. see how that works as a reply guy function. We limit his access to the posting boards. It's weird, too. But so, yeah, no, that's where I've been kicking around, sort of thinking about, yeah, what these people's mm-hmm. lives are. And uh, then, yeah, Corey, you want you, Yeah, you, you were saying something wonderful about this. And I just love let's get into the topic. Yeah, I was I was just thinking like we were talking about it a little bit last week. And I was thinking about the fact that I am not an astrophysicist and if we were ever to achieve our dream of having a trek-like future odds are against me being someone who could serve on a starship unless i could be like Guinan, you know because yeah. i can definitely i can definitely tend some bar i have i have tended bar in the past and you also yeah. have to have hung out with mark twain in the 1800s the details details but anyway they are, they are very strange details it's i admit <laughs> they are very strange details honestly no finding so, like, Guinan in random places throughout history is the best part of being in starfleet <laughs> frankly <laughs> so no like i've i've wondered like there's obviously Star Trek is focused very much on Starfleet and the exploration and the ships and the the stations and all of that and that makes sense because it's centered on the function that Starfleet well, exploring serves. Exploring space, right? And if we go to a, a world set on a planet, we live there and it's fine, but it's just a sitcom in the future. Sure, yeah. But so like we we there's certain things we know about this universe. We know that uh, at least in the Federation that they we've evolved beyond the need for money and material possessions. Okay, so that's great. But like, how does Cisco's dad like run a restaurant? Does he just get food to cook? Did people have another way of paying him for their meals or like like how does civilian life work at all? Like what what those of us Other that are not to run a restaurant, but he's really yeah. good at it. How do we right? Yeah. No, because like the like, the study of economics as essentially a study of prioritization, even of just time. You still have to do like there's still a restaurant on that block. Which one is it? If not with money and capitalism, from whence? I figure it would right. have to be like an art form thing, right? Like it would no longer be. Like there wouldn't be fast food chains anymore, I don't think. Or there well, would no, be, no, right? Repli- but they would just no. be replicators. Yeah. Like there would be fast food, like McDonald's no, brand replication programs. A replimat. Yeah, yes, a that, replimat. right? Like, so like they would still have like presumably, you know, if they're still remotely capitalist and just assuming that like, you know, cockroaches mcdonald's will somehow survive world war three you know i could see them having like mcdonald's branded like burger programs or whatever right licensing fee for to use the pattern or something yeah like it's like a 3d printing with a really narrow nozzle Um, yeah exactly and so like something like that i could definitely see but like for like an actual restaurant i assumed that that would be like a performance art thing at this point 
Well, Cisco's dad is definitely an artist in the sense of how of, of his relationship with food and but just like civilian yeah. life in general. How does civilian life work in the Federation? I mean, apparently yeah. you can still have to beard fucking oysters out back. So, <laughs> I mean, presumably that is also part of the performance. Okay, is that it's no, like a handmade I mean, novelty thing? Oysters with beards on them, you'd have to farm them. Like you'd have to grow those. Yeah, I mean, I assume that they would still exist as part of the process somewhere. I don't know, man. It's so like so. Yeah, no, like so. We're gonna have to pass over some of these questions because they're. But we also see like there are other ways to play here. Yeah, yeah, like we also see normal people become like colonists, right? Like we see people literally going out and colonizing planets. Presumably, uh, you know, there are people who work like in retail jobs still. You know, because we see there is still retail happening. You know, on like Deep Space Nine. So I assume that yeah you know, they still need that they still need people to pilot ships you know for cargo back and forth um Cassidy Yates. yeah right and so like there's definitely still gonna be a civilian economy even just like around starfleet and i mean paul like you talk about all the time right like lower decks gives us a lot of insight into that as well yeah, like you're you're mopping floors. There's still stuff happening. Like, and I mean, the sy- synthetic life or androids or sort of just robots in general not being in play means, yeah, most people are doing jobs. Like, if you're not you're not doing a lot of like necessarily heavy manufacturing and like drilling drill press kind of stuff because that you would replicate. But, like, yeah, you got to assemble things. You've got to like there is sweeping up to do. There is somebody's got to come through and deionize the whatever. I would let's say fusion coils just for the sake of sci-fi words. Uh, but yeah, you've also but, like. And sort of our last, the episode we uh, where the sort of this came from, this is sort of a, a spiritual successor, if not literal sequel to. Yeah, we talked a lot about how the administration of the Federation worked inside those ships. But yeah, there's so many wor- weird Federation worlds and just other people's lives that we've got out there. They're just trying to do anything. I mean, I mean, what the doctor writes a hollow novel. There are publishing houses. Yeah. The difficulty yeah. in trying to map this economy over without sort of even having, because I mean, at this point, post-scarcity theory is not, I mean, it's articulated reasonably well as an idea, but it's like, what would your society look like? Isn't even close because they're still trying to basically argue that you should try and think of society this way. And that's still very difficult at, and at a high academic level. Well, and it gets even more complicated when you, you alluded to this talking about interactions with other worlds like you could imagine okay the federation has some kind of agreement like european union type agreement where you know one currency no currency like how transactions are done all that could be arranged but when you start talking about interacting with cultures that are not part of that agreement and if your culture doesn't have currency like like how how does this even like how do people how how does jedzy well jedzia gets her latinum by playing playing tongo with cork but like how does anybody have money to pay for things on on the shops at deep space nine i don't i don't understand how that works it's very strange to me well and like are they making like is part of it just when you are assigned to live on deep space nine you just get like a latinum budget or something like do you get a per diem like, yeah, I'm assuming you get a right. you get a per diem or something like that because I mean it's a Federation station so all your needs basically are taken care of and then they give you sort of a light spending budget because I mean ultimately if you're going to the replimat you just flip your wrist thing on it like a cruise ship or a say Korean spa kind of place where you have a little armband that basically rings up at the end of your trip yeah or like right. you know when you're at Disney World and you want to cut the lines there it is mm-hmm. you got to get in the Garex first. 
Mm-hmm. Collars popped. <laughs> I wonder, like, to what extent getting just bumped up to getting a thing earlier is like sort of a de facto currency in the Federation. Oh no, we absolutely talk about this. This is where uh, Nog attempts to teach Jake and O'Brien about incentive-based economics and relationship-based economics. He goes through this exact thing for him. He's like, "Your request yeah. is sitting on this guy's desk. You don't. He's your request, just like every other request. You need to form a relationship with him." And then yeah. Nog does like lot like at, and like, using O'Brien's command codes basically starts relationships and sort of does like a theft of the Magi six round thing where he gets what he was looking for in the end and everything is back where it was supposed to be. But it, it, and he, it tries to teach them this lesson of like, no, you don't you have to convince them to do it for you. Well, why won't you ask him, yeah. Jake? Oh, well, because I'm, I'm I'm ashamed. I don't want to ask him. Okay, fine. We will trick them into doing it. Watch this. <laughs> and there are like a couple of episodes, yeah, where Quark just sort of brings the entrepreneurial sort of well, bribing, greasing palms, nepotistic spirit of the of capitalism back to bear as a Federation officer. With I mean, without I mean, while not compromising Federation ethics, but like bring the to bear the important parts of that, right? The interpersonal yeah. quality that you were talking about, Rachel, in terms of the bureaucracy right that was missing in that yeah well and i mean the truth is that's yeah that's all there ever is right yeah like even it, if there is there's a nothing but social relationships and everything else is just sort of a symbol we use in place of a promise it's like even if you got a guy whose job it is to fill the request well if you if you're nice to him and you send his wife flowers or whatever uh, it was not that it was some gift for his whatever right form a relationship be their friend they will do you a favor faster than if you just it, relying on duty alone yeah um, absolutely but still, this is inside. This is still inside the world. But we're still, yeah, that sort of interface between the outside of the Federation is where that starts, right? Because the economics of the rest of the world are governed by, I mean, the Orion Syndicate, for one, is right, in that right. sort of negative space, right. um, hyper libertarian crime approach, which doesn't, I mean, ultimately, it's a weird kind of crime family, if at all. It's, yeah, a strange, strange, strange species instead of like, oh, Orions, they're all, cr- what? They're what now? That's hang on. They're right? Italians. Your your planet. It's it's planet Italy. So yeah. they do exist <laughs> in the Star Trek universe. That's great. Italy still exists. It's just Orion's now. But yeah, I I guess for me, it's like I know we've been kind of focusing on how people make money outside of working for Starfleet. But I also just really wonder, like, what do people do? And, and it's probably just because capitalism is so poisoned my brain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that I'm just trying to imagine how you fill your time and how you're able to live without that aspect. Like, like how what is your job and what kind of work is there for people? And if you don't work, then, you know, what do you do with all that that time that you've got? It's we don't see much of that actually displayed and, and explored in the Trek universe. I mean, yeah, I, I think that's an interesting question, too. Like, are there more people doing, for example, like artisan labor just because there's enough time to do it now? You know, like, right. I, I really honestly think most people will just move to some kind of art. This is just my sort of broad prediction for what communism is going to look like or, you know, post-scarcity society is going to look like is people are going to default to doing creative projects, whether that's like interesting architecture or like visual art or music or whatever. I figure that's where people are going to mostly land is like making cool shit. Sign me up. It looks like pretty much everyone on a Federation world either works in a mine, some kind of science factory where they make science, 
or the the fuel for science perhaps it's hard to say it, it could go either way or they work in an open air market yeah. <laughs> it's a huge number of planets it's just yeah it's just an open air market of people with fruits that you probably aren't familiar with if you lived in iowa in the night but you know? here in 2020 are very very identifiable due to my access to global shipping conduits <laughs> i mean you can just get a dragon fruit now yeah like oh look star yeah. fruit those exist yep <laughs> yeah, that's, you know, fair. These are no longer quite as exotic when they are readily available. Well, it's like I was saying, the, the pomegranate's sitting on, on Neelix's counter there just for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just grab one and just pop that open on your console. <laughs> <laughs> Be like those bars where you can just throw the peanut shells on the ground. <laughs> well, I know one, one way we can talk a, a little bit more in depth. I know one very specific civilian that pops up a lot in the Star Trek universe, and that is Harcourt Fenton Mud. Harry yes. Mud. Harry Mud. Everybody's uh, favorite gay space pirate. Although gentleman he's scholar, human trafficker. He's a human. He's he's everyone's favorite mustachioed human trafficker. Chest hair aficionado. And a kidnapper. Kid and time criminal. Sweet ass time yeah. criminal. Yeah. He does. A, he's very good at this, and I love how great he is as a Star Trek villain. Simply for the fact that he is a thinking problem kind of guy. All of the best villains in any media are queer-coded, to be clear. Yeah, of course. But he does not present a physical threat to Starfleet, to anyone. But he is very dangerous, and it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, so we'll talk a little bit about... Oh, there's there's the opener, which is Mud's Women, which is yeah. where Harry Mud is almost in a car wreck with the Enterprise, and then is beamed aboard, and he's taking his three women who he has apparently booked passage to some mining planet and filled them full of drugs that make them more attractive. It's wonderful. But you know what's funny is like the only thing the drugs actually do, this is, I guess to take a step back, this is one of my all-time favorite Star Trek episodes across any of the series, to be clear. I love wow. this episode so much because it is so <laughs> absurd. Because what the pills do is basically makeup and she's not a bitch. And it's like... <laughs> that's it she she stops being a bitch and she puts makeup on and that's like the perfect woman that's all you need and i'm like oh you just gave her fucking prozac like it's a it's like a it's a botox <laughs> laudanum blend thank you yeah right <laughs> but it's just it's so fucking funny to me because i mean obviously it's deeply objectifying and he's literally doing human trafficking and like this is they really don't interrogate that enough like the whole mail order bride thing just goes without question as though that's not literally like sex trafficking right i mean their claim is that the women the women are scripted to have had lived on a planet with no man so this is basically right. oh, cool you're, the, you're he's like a shitty tinder in this particular episode i feel like it, he, it's like mutual aid for sex trafficking yeah it's well, i mean it gets worse for him so it's this uh, this I mean, one yeah. just feels a little is a little better but well, but i mean the, the truth of it is he is marketing these women as products right and if you yeah. are doing that yeah. you are trafficking humans there is no way to do one without the other 
period. That's fair. Yeah. 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 Their sort of ostensible consent in this process does seem to be driven entirely by desperation. Yes. Uh, and that's sort of how sex trafficking always works, right? Like it is somebody who is desperate giving the only thing they can guaranteed give in the hopes that it'll buy them something slightly less worse, right? But I don't know. Yeah. To me, I mean, I think that contextualizes his sort of bloodless and self-serving tendencies very oh, well. I hate describing him as bloodless because he's so flamboyant and fiery. But it's superficial. It, it is. You know, he's very charismatic, which is very common among sociopaths, to be fair. Well, okay, so I think we have to back up for a second and think about, remember, I'm still working my way through a chronological viewing of Trek. And if I'm not mistaken, chronologically, his appearance on Discovery actually predates Mud's Women. Indeed, we're talking about a guy who was in a Klingon prison. Exactly. So he was a Klingon prisoner, a prisoner on a Klingon ship, and he managed to connive his way around ever being the one to get tortured somehow. And then he goes and wrecks, kills an endangered species and wrecks all kinds of havoc. He somehow escapes Klingon prison with no explanation, but I believe this is not an incompetent person. Yeah, exactly. No, he's clearly, he's clearly very intelligent, but like he's so, and Paul, you've made this observation before, like he's so much more sinister in his appearances in the Discovery series. And then when we meet him in TOS, he's this jovial pirate. And it's just like we we haven't really reconciled that incongruity yet. And I'm just wondering if is there anything that you observed in his time in the Discovery series that would explain or would, would lend credence to the canon that we see in the original series? I mean, have you ever met somebody who went from, like, ain't shit to suddenly having a lot of money? Because I can tell you exactly what happened is he got a lot of money. Oh, I I have <laughs> met a lot of people like that, actually. Yes, because I have. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So all of these things are explained by him getting a lot of money, which can presumably also be explained by the human trafficking, which is pretty fucking lucrative. That's true. Okay. He actually married a weapons manufacturer. Oh, so yeah. That also happened. That. Oh, um, I forgot about that. I'll give it a slightly yeah. more charitable brush. Your first encounters with him in Discovery, he is in prison and then uh -huh. has escaped prison and is coming to get revenge on the guy who left him in prison, having taken the Klingon double agent with him. <laughs> so I feel like he is rightly, I feel like sort of so like the grittier and uh, meaner mud that you see in Discovery is absolutely a product of being in prison. And then and the glow up of getting a bunch of money in the interim is definitely cannot hurt. But I think you're running into Kirk as a way different Perry mud. Right. Lorca left him to yeah. die in prison. When you he come sure back did. for that dude, yeah, you do blow up a whale and fuck some shit up with your cool time crystal. And thankfully <laughs> bring the time loop episode to discovery that it needed to be able to properly reboot Star Trek. Yeah, you really do got to have a time loop. You got to be like, oh, no, it keeps happening. Hell yeah, it keeps happening. Let's do a montage. <laughs> Hell yeah. I mean, listen, it was a really good episode. It very much was. They did a great it job was. with that. But we're not talking we're 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 not here to talk about the the fun the fun parts of this. We're going to talk about the so he's going to a mining planet in Mud's Women. He's going to a planet where they are sandblasting their pots outside with the grit in the air. Which I'm sorry, the woman they bring there comes up with that. 
So these are idiot sort of. They're, <laughs> you didn't have to be. So they're attractive. very yeah. dumb miners. Yeah, well, and this is from the generation of you know human enlightenment, where it was just assumed that women operated inside of kitchens as chattel because you know they were intrinsically ordained to do so by God. Like this is <laughs> culturally speaking, the milieu was not exactly warm towards the idea of like bachelor men without a woman because that defied the patriarchal role of the man which was to be head of house which implied having you know women and children that you're sort of taking care of and like one that's made hotter with magic pills well yeah again you give her prozac or lithium or whatever electroshock therapy was pretty popular back then and (laughs) you know you nuke your mom into being chill about her life of servitude and then you've got a perfect happy house it's the magic of chemistry baby I mean, better living through. Uh, yeah. So he does this. He's also taken captive by a whole planet full of robots. Hell yeah. One of which is his ex-wife. You're, uh, that I mean, this is uh, this is all TOS, but yeah, TNT uh, because we did sort of the Discovery timeline. But he, yeah, he comes back, blows up a whale in the Discovery, and tries to steal it. They give him back to his ex-wife or to his wife, and they take him away, and I guess keep him until he escapes again to go hang out with Kirk and do sex trafficking, and then get captured by robots. And I can't recall what his TAS appearance is here, but he gets such a the animated Harry Mud is I've never seen a better picture of a character character that looks like the actor so much um, yeah they did they captured him well this uh go find look check this out on memory out memory beta listeners and i am dropping it in our chat oh my god yes he's got yeah. the pirate, beautiful the pirate captain jacket the comb over and everything it's just glorious uh, it's like how do you uh, animate a comb over it's fine you just draw eight lines across the top it's so perfect <laughs> i uh, God, sold, I love it. He sold Starfleet to a, another planet, which I love. I've sold a thing that does that's on a different planet to you. It's beautiful. I'm so here for it. He also has like incredibly strong yellow submarine vibes in this picture. Oh yeah, I mean that kind of. The, <laughs> it, well, I mean the uh, the yellow. It is the same animation studio that does TIS that does Yellow Submarine. But yeah, they really lean. They know how to do a navy. You see where they learned how to do a navy jacket. Right. They did a big gay <laughs> Navy boy is what they did. And it's perfect. Mm-hmm. Hello, Ringo. Uh, hey. So, I mean, so, I mean, it is still a very strange world out there. You've definitely got people who are very weird interplanetary communication questions, but clearly people just living mining on a rock planet, getting dilithium out of the ground so they can fly these ships around and people going, yeah, I, I'll marry that. That'll be I mean, I'll be rich eventually, so it's fine. Because I mean, ultimately, those guys, the whole point of mining dilithium during your youth is so you have enough to then live forever and retire, Uh, which again, now what are we doing? It's weird. Who does that? Because it seems like it sucked. Right. Well, if lithium mining on the uh, good old planet Earth is any indication, it's not great. No, it's not great. great. It does speak to the colonial impact of a lot of these planets, uh, which I just love this. His hat, his chains, his shirt. The, the the boots he's, just God, pouncing around the galaxy being a pain in Kirk's ass. I think the Discovery portrayal, while phenomenal, just isn't funny enough. But I think that they weren't going to let him do that. Uh, they weren't going to let Rain Wilson lean that far into anything. Um, oh, no. The show's got to be serious. Like, I guess. I mean, they do a lot with that cat. 
<laughs> all right so we've seen a very specific singleton individual we've talked about some uh a couple of the people floating around we've we've still got some worlds to visit y'all let's uh we let's do there's a lot of places that seem to get let into the federation that are just real eloy molar um eloy moloch kind of what is the what are the things from time machine the what what's Moloch and the Eloy. Oh yeah, no, that's yeah, that's that's them. Yeah, yeah. There's, I think there's, so. There's it very specifically right. just one of those in TOS, which is like, oh, so you guys, this is a Federation planet, and there's like, oh, it's a whole group of people that live underground, and they you t you say they like it down there, right, right? Very violent and okay. Is it the first time anyone showed up here before they let them in? Like Kirk asked three questions and was like, whoa, sounds a lot like slavery, huh? Right, um, and like. <laughs> y'all ask did y'all like where did you okay well and like i wonder to what extent it was just sloppy writing i mean it, I, like if we want to come up with you know a headcanon Surely. reason this stuff is happening which i am sure we will do because again we have to oh no to they had dilithium sense. it's pretty much but, they had a mineral that was required for interstellar travel yeah yeah but what i'm saying is like the existence of that kind of labor implies the existence of an underclass right like the question is why does that underclass exist because surely people are not doing this like incredibly punishing rugged work in you know perfect you know uh nobody says yeah let me get down there and break my hands doing some bullshit it's just not yeah true. exactly even if you love working there are still jobs you would prefer not to do and there has and there must yeah. be some legitimate or reasonable reward for that whether it's conscription of the youth or something you don't know there's some plans for this i don't know right well and and in you know a future where literally perfect comfort exists and is you know achievable one has to wonder why anybody would intentionally do anything like that you know that is punishing so i think there has to be some kind of underclass and my suspicion is that we are seeing it like when we think about these weird worlds you know like this or like oh gosh what's her name the blonde from the first couple seasons of uh, tashi yar yes like tashi yar on the planet with the rape gangs right we assume that this underclass must exist on oh. these planets and that it must then be planets based right when they went with tasha yar's aerobics instructor sister to go <laughs> yeah. to that planet and yeah the whole thing about it huh <laughs> and they had her come back for a time travel episode or two also just for fun but yeah no tasha yar's not from a cool place either it's true yeah yeah and so like i guess to what extent like is maybe that what's going on there are still classes they're not actually communist they have a class society right I mean, ultimately, what happens on Earth and what happens on any given Federation world is like a human rights investigation can only go so far, even if it is as thorough as it can be. You still don't check every square inch of everything. But there are still some components of this where you're like, ah, these people feel like they live in a very bad place. There's all the planets where they try very hard to deal with gender issues and flub it pretty badly. Like, oh, hey, yeah. everyone, there, there's a third gender, but they're actually not. We don't talk to them like they're people oh right great. right like, or there's no gender and you're wrong for being a lady yeah right there's no gender and we literally do conversion camps on anybody who expresses a binary gender of any kind yeah i mean that's the thing it's like it's kind of just like there ambiently and i mean we see that like in the united states 
two, right? Or like really any sort of system of power that is hierarchical in nature, we see the development of sort of oppressive systems that are primarily applied and disproportionately applied to the least powerful members of that system. We sort of develop castes unless we try very, very, very hard not to. I guess they just haven't figured out how to not do that yet. I don't know. Well, I mean, some of it is a question of, I suppose, that like ultimately people group. People find like-minded people and operate in concert with them. Yeah. But to what point, to what extent does this force you to suffer mental and physical deprivation is the act, I suppose, the more meaningful question mm-hmm. or the more answerable question. Because like you can't make people stop doing that. Like they're going to be groups. Of, they, I, I don't like everyone. That's fine. Um, I don't think they should all suffer and die as a result, which is not supposed to be super radical, but you get the idea. But uh, ultimately that that we will still segment and sort of cluster, but making sure that that is not a, a basis of just, I mean, negative outcomes. I mean, yeah, like we need to make sure that like these cultural differences do not result in the material deprivation of any class based on identity. And that's hard to navigate without a lot of like frankly, overhead, right? If you're trying to do that in sort of a central capacity, that's very difficult to manage. And I think actually it's important to take a second and sort of center the administrative reality of trying to create that kind of like stateless, classless system, right? It can only be done by people who want to do that. And I think actually it is realistic to believe that it would be very difficult using like a strictly anarchist model to guarantee these kinds of things aren't happening because it only takes like a couple of assholes, right? It only takes a couple of people who decide they're going to go off and start their own planet where you can do sex tourism. And suddenly it's like, okay, well, how do we regulate this? Yeah, right. You know, are we going to like build a system that we administrate? And if that's the case, like that's a huge amount of overhead. That's a huge amount of organization. That's this massive undertaking to do something like that. And it's ultimately for the sake of forcing this planet to stop forcing people. And so I don't know that there actually is like a good answer to that question. I think it's always going to be highly contextual. I don't know. I guess like the best thing you could do is just show up and like take anybody who wants to leave, but then you have tons of refugees, right? I mean, yeah. So you get a lot of relocation issues, episodes in TOS and TNG where they definitely show up and they're like, yeah, our job's to take you over there. And they're like, we don't want to go over there. Like, oh, oh, no one told us that. And they're like, Whoa, yeah. Okay. Well, there's also a few episodes and I'm, I'm thinking, yeah, this was one in uh, in Enterprise where um, there was like a, a change in the government and they wanted to kick off all off-worlders and they, they had to go rescue some Denoblian scientists that were crawling around in a cave and didn't want to leave. So that was one. But like there've definitely been several episodes I can think of across the the entire franchise where like large populations of refugees are living on alien worlds, alien to them. And right. and there's conversations about their ability to integrate or changes in in the political climate that make their ability to stay there more tenuous. There's the whole Maquis situation. Yeah. Um, yeah. That raises questions about like what defines someone as a citizen even of the Federation or a citizen of a particular planet. Yeah, absolutely. When you start moving around to different worlds and different solar systems, it definitely becomes a lot more tricky to nail those kinds of things down. 
Yeah. I do think there are probably solutions to this, but I don't think they're going to be clean ones. You know, I don't think they're going to be easy ones necessarily. Um, And that's why I say it's going to be so context specific every single time, you know, because obviously if the refugees are down to move, then it's fine. You know, if they're like, yeah, we love it. We can go, you know, be, you know, members of this society or whatever. Like that's great. But that always creates tension. Just the experience of that much change is itself massively stressful. Even if you're completely on board for it, even if you're excited about it, it's really stressful. Anybody who's, you know, gotten a new job that was amazing has experienced this. Anybody who's moved to a nicer place, right, uh, has experienced this to some extent or another. Like the changes themselves are just stressful, even when it's like a linear improvement overall. So, yeah. I would imagine part of the process would also have to be lots and lots of just like counselors and organizers, right? People whose entire job is to show up and talk to people and figure out what works best for everybody within like reasonable compromises. You know, who wants to go become a settler somewhere on some, you know, hopefully dead planet that they're terraforming, right? Because we don't want to like be just wiping out ecosystems in our path, right? That seems really bad. Or who wants to integrate into another society? You know, I don't know. I kind of like my plan where we build a hollow ship that looks just like your village. Toss you in there. (laughs) Yeah, just take you. And it's all fine. And nobody dies and nobody's upset about it. Give your children your planet and they're they unage from that. It's it's unclear what our objective is here. Your horrible, terrible, stretched skin monster children. God, they were such quality, quality makeup work in Nemesis, but not much else. I actually kind of liked Nemesis. I mean, you just have to approach it like a really long episode. Like, it's just an episode, and that's fine. You can't go into it expecting, like, I don't know, some big cinematic thing that's, like, gonna, like, blow your mind with giant space fights or whatever, because that's not really what it's about. But if you go into it as, like, this is just a really solid episode of Star Trek, it's good. Well, I mean, I don't disagree, but I, Herbert alert, guys, Herbert alert. The uh, yeah. So the Gatillion ambassador was one of the idiots who was with the hippies in Return to Eden. Mm-hmm. It is a planet where there's a competent, essentially anti-vaxxer who is going <laughs> to go kill a whole other planet with the mm-hmm. help of this ambassador's son. And that's why they can't just tase the shit out of this dude and move on with their lives. Yeah. Um, but like this is a planet that is proposed for Federation membership, and it is definitely full of hippie ass anti-vaxxers. So uh, Tongo Rad and the um, yeah. various other components of that episode, like okay, so yeah, like no, I mean, like sort of looking at who these people are. You've got the same kind of weird, also outlier creeps that we have all over these places. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know. It's challenging. Hear me out on this. Okay, we just do genetic engineering, and we just genetically <laughs> engineer people to be nice. And that's how so, we do it. Um, Hi, I'm Wayun 6. You may remember me from <laughs> talking to Wayun 5 earlier. <laughs> uh, no, so I mean, that is another way to live your life, is as part of a genetically bred hierarchy serving some secret masters in the form of that shapeshifters that you worship as gods and kind of are or i don't know like as a unity they are kind of a deity i mean they're not quite on par with the q or the prophets but no, i don't know it's pretty heavy duty well i think the q kind of exceed all of the above too like the q are just like god gods god 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 gods and i love that they're capricious because that really does like fit with my attitude towards religion generally speaking 
And I mean, you go. I mean, I get. Do you do you think people pray to Q? No, no, because they're uh, no, dickhead gods. Like this thing is like, yeah. if you are aware of the existence of Q, you would be thinking of them as the capricious gods they are, and mostly just trying to please them and not piss them off. You're like, golly, I hope they don't take notice of me like they did Picard. Well, right, and that's the thing is like Picard pissed them off, right? Like the whole thing that Picard did is because he's very proud and obstinate. He picked a fight with actual gods when in reality being obsequious is like a way better move when you're dealing with those kinds of monsters. It's like, oh, holy <laughs> shit, you're omnipotent. Stop. Um, uh, I appreciate you coming down to say hi. Is there anything I can get you? Yeah, right. And like, the thing is, like, we see Picard doing this for other species, right? Like, all the time. He's so willing to do it. Anyway, that's like completely unrelated from the main topic of the show, but just like, what a dickhead. Like, he's definitely the reason they had a problem with Q in the first place. The Marquis. His ass didn't know how to kiss ass. <laughs> well, it's not his strongest suit. Let's talk about the Marquis for a second, because you can definitely live there on the fringe and get left mm -hmm. alone, left, just left hanging. Is domestic terrorist a viable career path in the federation yes there's a bunch of them <laughs> i mean clearly just based on the prevalence you only do three years for major collaboration and then you get to marry a starfleet captain messiah again good point and then he dies <laughs> but it's a weird like i mean yeah her that's a weird status you've got a very a strange arrangement to live in there but that's yeah, the McKee are definitely like attempting to problematize this and like, sort of give voice to these concerns. So these concerns like, wait, this is kind of just a colonial. This isn't actually utopian. This is just regular government. Right. This, is, this is the West Wing. Like it's a, it's <laughs> well, I mean, it's ruled by a council. There's a bunch of it is sort of a system of optimistic diplomatic structures piled on top of each other with Section 31 festering in the middle of it. And a lot yep. of it really does come off as. Yeah, it looks like if you live on a number of these worlds, oh, I don't know, Nazi planet, for example. Yeah. <laughs> like, they let a guy go to a place. And like, so this is actually one of the major flaws of one of the sort of narrative issues that gets pushed a lot, which are that the Nazis were really efficient. And even Star Trek says this is true when we know that it's not. Right? Yeah. Like the yeah. only thing fascists are good at is murdering people. Yes. And they're very, they're very good at that. I do not want to take away from their strengths in that area if this is sort of viewed as a quarterly review for fascism. However, they you could raise strengths in every other area of political and civil administration. I mean, yes, absolutely. It's not actually efficient in the least to be cosmically evil. Well, the reason Nazi planet comes to pass is because, yeah, they got the advisor they sent to some Federation world is like, oh, golly, they're doing real bad. Well, we better do a fascism. And even Kirk so agrees. Out, though, was it actually more of a, like, I guess Argentina situation? Time. Like... Like, can you just invade Argentina because there happen to be a shitload of Nazis there? Or how do you resolve that problem diplomatically when that kind of settlement exists? Yeah, it's a big prime directive problem to come back and fuck them up again. I think the way they handled the, the mobster planet, for example, was a lot better of an approach to that kind of thing. And they said, okay, yeah, you're the Federation's gang now. We'll be by to collect tribute later. Just be nice to everybody. So you're saying literally the best situation is just more extortion. 
Well, I mean, it was a better way to, like, it is easier to do that to the mobster planet and force peace on them, on the mob, on the warring mobster bosses, than it is to say, all right, Nazis, just be chiller about it. It's, it's a harder sell. What I you're mean, saying is you just let the Trotskyists have their own organization and believe in the power of Trotskyism to eat itself alive. I mean, I, again, <laughs> this is all a fictional show about cartoon people living in a floating death station full of children. <laughs> I'm not prepared to make a lot more strong of an analogy than that. You know, I also want to know why so many people just have like obsessions with 20th century history specifically. Well, because it's what you know. It's I mean, that is ultimately well, and I think part of it is no, yeah, we're talking about like normie wars. lives, right? Like we can assume a lot of the people in Starfleet are turbo nerds who like have never actually found a niche history topic they didn't like. And maybe that's true. But I assume that for that kind of material to exist, there would have to be some kind of subculture for it. You know, like people who are super into cryptids or something like is that still around? Do you think? Oh, wow. Yeah, no, I feel like the culture is so obsessed that you, okay, so you could study cryptids as a historical genre, right? That people believed in cryptids at one time, and golly, that's wild. And that kind of mythology would be a thing you could study. But there are no cryptozoologists that are taken in it. This, that, I don't know. I mean, like, that are, yeah, there still are. Fuck, there's anti-vaxxers on planet Herbert. Are there um, space cryptids now? Oh, I mean, it's ultimately it's harder to say space cryptid because usually, it's like, oh, shit. Yeah, you just can't see them unless you point this kind of weird flashlight at them. And then it's like, oh, they got hello. They got stuff on their face. Yeah. OK, but hear me out, though. Like <laughs> there are zoologists here who are making fun of cryptozoologists here. And like, I assume the exozoologists would be dunking on the like space cryptozoologists, right? I feel like in a universe full of things that have not been discovered, there is a lot less room for cryptozoology. Yeah, but like we still discover shit on our planet all the fucking time. Sure, Constantly. but we don't discover like a breeding population of hominid human-sized primates, i.e. Bigfoot. A single lock could not contain two plesiosaurs long for a long enough period for it to be worth us for us to all notice. I mean, so, yes, but when we talk about normal people who are not, you know, literally the astronauts who are doing exozoology, right? Like just normies, like they don't need to have enough evidence to prove a thing is real. They need to have enough evidence to prove a thing could be real. And then a big old question mark as to whether there's any evidence proving it does not exist, right? And the thing is, you can never prove a thing does not exist, right? So presumably, there's like some asshole out there who successfully correctly predicted the existence of the Spore Network and just never found out about it because it was a military secret. You just lack the hardware to prove your claim. Right. Yeah. And everybody else is like, you dumbass. This shit is not real. Right. Mm. Like, just I feel like this has to still exist. Like, or, you know, somebody who's got some like, you know, zany conception of like some monster that exists on some planet or like maybe even an entire planet that just exists but doesn't exist. Right. That subculture is still going to be happening. Uh, and my question is, what are they into? Do you read the astrology column for your home planet or the planet you're on? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. 
So remember that uh, that group of, I don't know what to call them, maybe they're like naturalists of some kind in you know, Deep Space Nine where Cisco and O'Brien uh, get stuck on the planet and there's that lady that's like basically trying to imprison them and force them to work and actually uses us like a hot box to punish people. Yeah. She was like an extremist about about using technology and about you know returning to natural living and she would she would 100 percent be running like an anti-vaxxer facebook q page today if she was oh in my our god timeline. you're so like, right 100 percent. but there's also less extreme versions of that for example even like cisco's dad who we mentioned earlier who has that inexplicable restaurant because he's an, a food artisan he's always yapping at his son about you know don't eat that replicated slop i'm gonna feed you real food you know so oh there's people that have like this antipathy towards technology and you kind of wonder like just thinking about anti-vaxxers and thinking about the miracles of trek medicine and i i'm so grateful for modern medicine even as it exists today especially after the last few months that i've had (laughs) and i'm just trying to imagine living in a world where you can just walk into a clinic and have somebody put a little hypospray against your neck and then suddenly whatever problem you have is gone and being like against that like oh hey that's a lot of radiation damage you're gonna have to come in for three sessions but then your dna will all be zipped back up yeah well like how are they gonna tell you that it gives you cancer when cancer has been cured right right okay cool it gives you cancer but then i just then it also has has that in it because everything does now so we're good like but that's what i'm saying is i don't know that they would necessarily still be focusing on like body horror type conspiracy theories i think they would just move on to some other kind of wild and outlandish belief well, I mean, you don't, I mean, you have, again, there's the mustache genetic engineered man. He is writing Q theories, as it were, again, about Section 31. He, You would pick this stuff apart. It is a very strange and upsetting, because he has been given access to, like, high-level intelligence, which is very bad. That There's a reason he's now in prison. But, um, no, right. but, uh, it's it's um, a very, I don't know, it's a weird world. You're definitely going to still be dealing with a lot of the same kind of nitwits you see with us. Yeah, I mean, you've still got, I mean, Picard, they've still got the news. They do news interviews with the card on the anniversary of things. So like, yeah, it's seemingly very similar. And I mean, you still got the Kumite style fighting pit worlds, which are a lot more oppressive than you'd think in Voyager. But that's just occupying the whole Delta Quadrant. They're all watching hollow arena battles and betting on it. It it seems kind of fun on that front, except for the part where it's involuntary. I do feel like blood sport could get a whole lot more bloody with those kinds of like medical advancements. Like imagine what UFC would be like if you could literally break somebody's neck and it was okay. Okay. You're allowed. You're allowed to, yeah, you're allowed to gouge eyes. It's fine. We'll put them, pop them right back in there. Right. That's what I'm saying. Like imagine how much wilder those fights would get. Oh, so you've got Shakespeare, you've got jazz, you've got blood sport. Yeah. You've got cryptids. You've You've got got like every kind of dad. You've got weird, you've got every kind of dad thing is still there. Don't worry. You can still garden. You can still be way into boat stuff and have guns and Mm -hmm. like just stuff on like boat stuff on your wall. Big leathery books are still buried there. A baseball on the desk. Ooh, that's nice. Yeah. 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 And like, look at like O'Brien in the hollow suites too. Like he turns the safety stuff off and like breaks his arm and shit like that because he likes the challenge. Like that's major dad energy. Dude, stop fucking breaking (laughs) your arm for the fucking, you're bad at kayaking. You're a fat Irish guy. It's fine. But this just isn't your fucking game. Like. 
There is no one who epitomizes dad bod more than O'Brien in Star Trek universe. Yeah. <laughs> and he's I, perfect. He is. He's a him. great dad. I think I think O'Brien is terrific. It's just not kayaking bod, dude. You know, like you gotta fucking focus on your strengths. Like losing the yeah. Alamo again and again <laughs> and again and again and again. And again. Look, one assumes that in this particular power fantasy, you win at the Alamo. Then be the Mexicans. Yeah, but that's not racist. And this was the 90s. They had to be racist. I think that's what Worf proposes, actually. Yeah, yeah. So, no, you're still going to have all your same dumb bullshit stuff. It's just going to be, I mean, the pillows are all going to be triangles. I guess instead of doing <laughs> your laundry, you just de-res it and reconstitute it, which is nice. But ultimately, we've eliminated a lot of your domestic chores. But you do. You still have to do some manual labor some days, just like your dad always made you. That being said, let's talk. <laughs> let's, let's do a game. We're going to play a game. It's going to be fun. We're going to play bad dads. We're going to talk about the, we're not even going to play. We're going to do rank these Starfleet dads. Who's your worst to best? I'm going to do them. And let's go with chronological order of, a, I can't even do it. Now we're just going to say them out loud. Kirk, Cisco, O'Brien, Rom, Picard, Sarak, Riker, Worf. Anybody else? Uh, Q. Data. I would say Data's a dad. And yeah, Data. Data's a dad for sure. Q is also a father. Who else? So let's so let's you know what can we let's oh. make Beverly Crusher an honorary dad since she's you know that's true Tom Paris my man oh my Tom. god I forgot wow. yeah yep. all right I think for these purposes all parents can be dads let's just say all parents are dads and dad is like not even gendered at this point so let's also throw in our Kiko and Balana and Giorgio oh Giorgio is an excellent Giorgio. dad yeah Giorgio. Yeah, I don't want regular love Georgia. it. I mean, she'd kill regular Georgia. Regular Georgia's dead. That's what the problem is. Um, mm -hmm. So Mary Georgia is here to stay. Yeah. Right, so I'm going to yep. make some quick cuts from the great dads. Rom is the best dad. He is yes. the best father figure. He is the best is. fucking Ferengi. That's why he makes him fucking Nagus. Spoiler alert from a show from 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For sure. Easy. Easily we cut we cut Rom as best dad, so he's no longer a problem here. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah. I think Riker's yeah. a good dad. Riker yeah. hangs out with his sweet fucking shielded cabin with his laser cannons, making pizza with his kids. This is fine. Yeah, I think he's, he's a good dad. He's he's a great dad. I wouldn't put him at number two. I wouldn't put him at number no, two. No, I would cutting, say either I'm cutting best dads oh, okay. from this list because we're talking we're going for worst dad. Yeah. Oh, okay. So I'm, I'm yeah, okay. some. I'm taking some easy, easy hits off this list for best for good dads because Rom and Riker okay. are in there. They are good. Dads. Yeah. I'm gonna say O'Brien's oh, a good dad. Oh, you know who we forgot to add? The EMC, Doctor Dad. Oh, that's right. Uh, he actually has. He he, he has a family. The EMH. Yeah. He runs out to get a pack of smokes. It is never show. Never <laughs> comes back. It just derezzes. It just goes away. But yep. That's a, yeah. that's a good one. Yeah, he's yep. a terrible dad, to be clear. He's <laughs> really shitty. Oh, who gave birth out of their back? Gross. Oh, uh, that was uh, Tucker. Right. Yeah. I always forget about the disgusting attempts at Flox. parenting Flox is a father. Flox is also, but Flox seems like a pretty good dad, though. No, I do. I, I agree. I think he's a good, but we're just talking, we're just making a yeah, list of yeah. known parents. I, mean, I really feel like the structure of that society does not only kind of includes the concept of father for the most part. Like, it's like you've got right. 14 or 15 people that you are married to or more that live on 
light years apart from each other and are fine with it. This right. seems like a system of uncles and aunts and shit from yeah. any perspective in a weird, also, wow, that makes your co-sanguinity tables and dating very interesting. Like, like, oh, that's a whole complicated <laughs> thing. We're going to talk about Dr. Phlox on a different episode. In that's like, that's a, that's a whole episode. By Crazy itself. like a Phlox. Um, <laughs> so, um, all right. So we're striking bad. We're, we're striking the good dads. Flox is, yeah. Flox is, a, is a good dad. And so we're going to cut him, but we're, yeah, good note. I want to say Mira Georgiou is a good dad. She, you know, I'm going to say yes. And here's why I think she's a good dad. She's a bad person. Yes. But when push came to shove, she was willing to relax the rules rather than like punish her kid and like actually try to help save her child when it came down to it and so i'm gonna say yes like terrible in every other capacity but ultimately very loyal to her child i'm gonna say tom paris good dad balana torres bad dad i agree i was gonna make the same point i also agree desire to genetically modify the heck out of that baby just like i don't want her to have a cool fun stuff going on oh no let's make her white or it's yeah no it's like also that they show you that of your that is also an episode where like they use the dancing baby technology of single female lawyer ally mcbeal and it's basically that great yeah so it is like, oh, so every time you have a baby, someone calls you and says, hi, I'd like to show you a horrifying rendering of a baby with hair. It's yours. <laughs> this is your baby. And you're like, no, no, change it. Um, and <laughs> But like, I would do that too if I saw that, like the, if it looked that way. Uh, Honestly, scary. having seen the image of my unborn fetus inside my womb, uh, let me just clarify that that horrible image is still less worse than literally seeing into your own baby's brain, which is what that looks like. <laughs> yeah, like you shouldn't, you shouldn't get. There's some things that are just hidden from our eyes for a reason. Like, well, we know how you feel about bodies, Paul. The miracle of love. Well, the also your body feels that way about the uterus. Um, it keep tries to keep it in there usually. Um. <laughs> Uh, all right, so keep moving. Sarak, the Spock and Burnham's dad. It might not be Sarak, but yeah, uh, Spock and Burnham's father. Let's say good dad, decent dad. Not great dad, but not a bad dad. I think he tried, he tried his best, and he was, you know, in a interspecies marriage with vastly different cultures and, and also raising an adopted human. And so he had a lot of challenges to overcome, especially with his, his cultural kind of and then, restraints. Like, the first human Vulcan hybrid, which is also, like, there is nothing for him there is no parenting guide for this guy i'm gonna go ahead and actually say that is probably bad dad material maybe not worst dad but not good dad like i think he's kind of a shitty dad all right let's keep chugging along here i'm say data good dad data kind of just abandons his kid no Mm. he does not he does not he tries to save her Mm, contentious what do you think, Paul? You're our tiebreaker. I don't like the way Data goes out, and I don't think that Data not outliving Picard makes any sense from the perspective of a robot that could live for centuries. Yeah, you would just sort of lose a couple months, right? So it never has made a huge amount of sense, and that you that you threw Picard in a new body and couldn't just toss Data in one. Like I get you can't put Brent Spiner back on the show because his face ages, which is normal. And I understand, and I want that to not happen to me, but I understand it might. That being said, I don't view that as abandonment. I view that as him being murdered by well writers. So I was actually thinking of Next Generation Data and thinking of the daughter that he created. Oh, I was too. Lol. No, he did all he could. She just died. 
Yeah. I yeah, mean, exactly. He's not a bad dad. He's a great, yeah, he's a great dad. He's, he's a like, great dad. Oh, he's never seen hands move that fast. Is yeah. I like Dana's yeah. a good dad. We talked about Tucker earlier, the one that gave birth behind his back, but the, actually Tucker had another kid, remember? Uh, it was Tucker him. And, he, had um, a, he, had a, he had a kid that was him. No, 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 no. no I'm not talking about that. Oh, that's Trip. There was, that's Trip. There, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, Trip is Tucker. Sorry. And Quint is, is was his, his clone child. Yes, but there was also the baby that was created from his and Tapal's DNA that was stolen. And like they did everything they could to find her and rescue her and yeah. deeply mourned her, her loss. I mean, he, he's a good dad. He's been given many op- a lot more parenting opportunities than, than others. But yeah, good dad. So, all right. Good dad, uh, bad luck. Yeah. Yeah. I would say I cut Milana from our bad dad list just because I think she we don't get enough parenting with them. And I think we got better. We've got better pieces here because I've got some we're going to say Picard is a good dad because he has no kid. But when he thought he had a kid, he came running. And when Data had kids and he was like, oh, shit, my God, children, I better go get them too. good dad. Um, yeah, not not really like personable. Wesley Crusher says this to let you know this, but it's fine. You know, like you don't need to be all of it. He doesn't need to be huggy to be a good dad. So who we got? Well, we got some, we got some, we got some bad dads. I disagree. I think emotional availability is very important in parenting. I agree, (laughs) but I think that he isn't actually anyone's parent. Well, yeah, and when we compare, you know, some of the literally cosmically bad dads on this list, I don't think he measures up as worst dad, which is what we're really going for here. Yeah, and we're and so yeah, we're just gonna yeah. So the the hologram doctor that had the family on the planet that goes too fast, he just ducked out for smokes and never fucking came back. Yeah. <laughs> oh, would y'all consider the caretaker a dad? No. No. Okay. No. I'm gonna. Uh, so so here's here's some more of our bad dads. Yeah, we've got Kirk, who's just has got a kid, dude. That kid, mm-hmm. and then yeah, just never talked to yeah. him or mentioned it the whole time. Um, Total deadbeat. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. got Worf. Real dick. Worf is the him. most trash father. Absolutely the. <laughs> worst father like no wonder she didn't tell him that he knocked her up because he was exactly as shitty a dad as she expected him to be (laughs) i do have some empathy for the fact that Worf has a lot of trauma and from his own childhood and you know just that that obviously he never got help for that and i I really wish that we would have been able to see how things would have been with him and jedzia being able to have a kid because i think it would have been very different but he still fucked up alexander like alexander is like Boy, Worf is just a little boy. He's not a he man. Is. He can't be expected yeah. to raise a child. Right, exactly. I'm making fun of Worf's, Worf's bar mitzvah again. I'm sorry. Yeah, every single fuckboy I've ever met meets that definition, Paul. We don't forgive fuckboys in this house. I, 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 Worf I, is I, a fuckboy. <laughs> I have to say that I think that there is a worse father in Star Trek than okay. Worf. I think it's Q. I mean, yeah. Ooh. Q is oh, definitely yeah. the worst anything when you talk about morals. <laughs> well, yeah, but I mean, literally, he's like, first he tries to like conscript Janeway into carrying a child for him. And then Ooh, when yes. you like the gestate my fetus, baby. Yeah. And then she just and then she sidesteps that and he just drops off his kid when it when the kid becomes annoying and is like, hey, I'm made a problem child. Fix it for me. I'll be back maybe never. Like again. Awful. Classic fuckboy move. <laughs> and the Q continuum <laughs> then chains him to him. 
Yeah. Which is great. Honestly, that's an appropriate punishment for both of those fuckers. Because the thing is, like, the Q continuum seems pretty functional to me, like, all told. So I am left to wonder, if the Q continuum is mostly pretty functional, is Q just, like, a bad egg? Is he just, like, some asshole that they can't bring themselves to kill? Like, what's going on there? They don't kill them. They don't kill themselves or each other. That's not allowed or permissible, but except till the guy figured out that he wanted to and that they could, and then he did, and everyone was kind of mad about it because I think Star- Starfleet made him. Well, they adjudicated it for them. But yeah, I don't know. Q's pretty bad at dad, but he ends up doing the quality time thing, and he's also, they've never heard of parenting. It's right. the first child. He has the first child ever. The first child in cultural memory, but not the first child. They talk about at one point like they were like a corporeal species. Which is another reason why he's a bad dad, because he didn't he he decided to procreate in order just for his own amusement or ego and without thinking about the complexity or the responsibilities or the consequences. Well, it was to perpetuate his species in a way that is sort of not adjacent to ours, but it was plot derived to, to be such like it was to save the continuum. That being said, yeah, still, he could have fucking looked up. A, there's books. There's every, <laughs> every other culture that has children you could have spent an eternity there. Um, you're supposed to be you're supposed to be omniscient and all powerful. So yeah, like why couldn't you just like pass by a planet and take a parenting class? Just raise <laughs> generations of children until they're not assholes and then it's like, okay, cool, I'm bored and leave. Counterpoint though, like to what extent would that be about equivalent to just opening up like a book from the 60s that has parenting advice in it? Like presumably <laughs> you're going to look at you're going to look at these people and be like, "Oh my god, look at these backwater little gremlins. Like they don't know anything about anything. Why should I trust them with the future of my child?" Right? We've already established that Q is a smug asshole. So like of course he didn't. Like cuz he's a piece of shit. Because being a bad parent is never really about your cultural background. It's about whether you the individual are a piece of shit. Yeah. And how much of a piece of shit you are. So I want to talk about the O'Briens real quick. And I think they're on the whole, despite, I think they're, they have the worst marriage in Starfleet, but they are great parents. Wrong. Okay. Okay. Maybe they totally disagree. I actually think in, and, and this is probably another episode discussion like diving into relationships and trek but i actually think that the o'briens have the most relatable and realistic portrayal of a marriage and yes there's definitely a lot of fighting that got written into that that is that is a product of the writing of the time and like the sitcom format of the squabbling spouses but when you look at their relationship holistically i think that keiko and miles have a very strong and compassionate relationship where they are supportive of one another's interests and goals and you know they they each make sacrifices for the other and are consistently in in doing that so i I actually think they have a very healthy marriage. I side with Corey on this one. Healthy marriages include disagreement and tensions. I've been sold. I just felt like it was fucked up that he took a botanist to live on a spaceship and then a truck stop and that the, (laughs) and the, and accepting that also the, also that the extended amount of time she spends at her mother's, so to speak, is also a product of her not being a, full cast character and being not being on the show and not wanting to be on the show as much. So they kind of do like, Oh, where is she? Oh, she's just fucking somewhere. That's why we didn't have to talk to her about this, even though it's a heavy O'Brien script. Right. Um, Yeah. Right. But like every time Miles is in some shit and he gets in the shit a lot, Keiko shows up 
every time. And every time Keiko's in trouble, Miles shows up and does everything he can. Uh, like they have a strong relationship and they would do anything for each other. I agree. And at the 12 person polycule that they end up being a part of at the end of Deep Space <laughs> Nine is one of the most epic. Please do not send us fan art of this orgy. <laughs> statements i've ever made uh to be clear don't send send it it to to paul send it to me i do want to see it i want it reviewed first for accuracy i'm a real stickler i will i will glance over 100 percent of fan art of this polycule sent to the show provided you add a content warning at the beginning for paul all right so here we are we're sitting here we're sitting here with kirk Worf, hugh yeah and the doctor Doctor? Well, I think the doctor is far and away the worst, actually. Really? Uh, Yeah, and here's why. is because he spun up his own family whole cloth like some kind of god, specifically manipulated them to be, according to his tastes, gave them a taste of, you know, autonomy and agency and freedom, and then promptly unwrote them because that was too much of a hassle to deal with. <laughs> and if you are not willing to let your kid be an asshole to you sometimes, then you are not a good parent. And if you are willing to go so far as to fundamentally rewrite your kid's entire identity against their will to make them more pliable, you are a bad parent. And that's like the definition of bad parenting is not accepting your kid's truth. Well, and you know, I think you have a point there because at the very least, Worf, for all of his failings, he does accept Alexander's truth. Yeah, my kid's a pussy. Uh, I guess it's, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> he accepts it when Alexander tells him he doesn't want to be a warrior, and then, you know, then it becomes a whole subplot on Deep Space Nine. And then later in, he, he shows up and he's like, I'm a warrior now. He's like, no, you're fucking... No, ugh. no I have to protect you. <laughs> it's just like, I can't believe I have to prove <laughs> to you that you're a pussy. <laughs> <Ugh>. <laughs> No, son, they're making fun. Okay, you know what? No, they they think you're... God damn it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, and to be fair, maybe I would be less effective of a parent if my child was that humiliating. Well, that's your <laughs> fault. You, you, where is your honor in this, Worf? You know? But, all right, so cut cue a little bit of slack because there are no parenting manuals that aren't written by chimps. Yeah. Um, Kirk, Kirk is just sort of stock absent parent. And well, that, he like didn't yeah. even know he had a kid at first. So like, yeah, yeah, that's true. That's right. No, that's a that is a revelation. It's true for him. So mm-hmm. all right. So we're sitting here looking at the doctor who rewrote his whole family, and also again went to the time travel family planet. Uh, this the sped up planet had a family there, and then walked away from them, and then derezzed his own other family. <sighs> it's making even Alexander look. That's true. The Alexander Worf relationship looked almost healthy, isn't it? Yeah. So I think the doctor's the worst. I don't like where we've ended this at all because I don't either. I love the doc. He's my favorite doctor. Yeah, you love him because he's an asshole. And I would like he's a lovable asshole. The doctor is the image of ourselves where we can be snarky ADHD motherfuckers who put our feet in our mouth on a regular basis, but still worthy of love. When in reality, the doctor you actually want to hang out with is Flock. Yeah. But good news, baby. I'm Polly as fuck. What's up? I am your Polly cuddly teddy bear. I'm an excellent parent. This entire episode has served to validate me, the only parent on the pod. Uh, I am just a fucking peach. I'm extremely gay and Polly and Flock's like. 
Uh, and I'm basically perfect. So how are y'all? I'm going to go invent a new form of genital. I'll talk to you guys <laughs> later. This has been gay space communism. Oh, <laughs> uh, if you like these shenanigans or the vague idea of a utopian future in entertainment, uh, you can support us, and we would love it if you did, at patreon.com slash not safe. Uh, that is the Patreon for our show, but also for everybody who is involved with Not Safe Media, which is the co-op we're a part of. We do all kinds of really fun and entertaining media production. We have a live stream where we talk about the news. We have uh, Sentai Truther Club where Kennedy and Grav talk about the Power Rangers. We have post-tech radio with Ada Powers, and that's just talking about how we can use technology we have and what kinds of technology we can develop to bring ourselves closer to the gay space communist future we so crave. And if you want to keep up with us and you want to make sure not to miss any of our anythings, you can follow us on Twitter at GaySpaceCast. And I'm oh, Rachel. I'm Corey. I'm Paul. and I'm the one that makes the dumb memes on the Twitter. Paul's very good at the Twitter. <laughs> I'm not very good Paul at the Twitter. Paul is very I'm good. Terrible at it, but no, you're excellent fun. at the Twitter. I have a lot of fun with the memes. Well, then yeah. why don't I have more people follow? Because it's probably very niche content. Let's move on with our lives. Woo! <laughs> space communism. We're gay and communist. And, and everything's space. in space. <laughs> Technically, when you think about it, Earth is in space. So we're always all in space. And we're all... Yeah. Sort of gay. Okay. So all we have to do is the communism part. Let's let's get. Let's I'm get just out there. get out there and expropriate something. Okay. Uh, <laughs> bye. <laughs>